My name is Grant. Welcome to week three of Confessions. The joy and the pain have come and cleaned. The truth is, over the last couple of weeks, I've made some confessions to you, and some of them have made some of you somewhat uncomfortable. That's good. They made me a little uncomfortable, too. The reason I've been doing it is because I have found it on my almost 20 years of being a pastor that Christians love to talk about confession. We just don't like to actually do it. And so this morning, I'd like to confess in a different way with some help from a friend. Roseanne interprets all of our, all of our messages here at the 10 o'clock service. And, and this morning, I would like Roseanne to interpret on my behalf a confession that I believe not only I need to make, but maybe a confession that you need to make as well. Roseanne, if you would please. Something I had done for them No sooner did they speak those words I found myself somehow disturbed Uneasy as I took their compliment Because I know The heart inside this man And I know the truth of who surprised seeing faded walls of pride and fear rooms I filled with faithless tears and corners where I've stood in compromise oh but you'd see the work his grace has done you know just how far I've come the only thing that's good
That's it. The only thing that's good in me is Jesus. Anything good that comes out of me is Jesus. The best of me is Jesus. The worst of me is me. That's how it works. There's nothing in any of us that's worth anything with the exception of Jesus. And and we hear that confession and we think, oh, that's good, that's good. Is it? Is there something inside of us as human beings that says, no, 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 I think there's something good in me. I think there's a little bit of something good just way down deep. There's got to be something. And yet the scripture comes and it offends us when it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm going to make a confession this morning. There's not a lot of chuckle, ha, ha, laugh, laugh, this is funny moments this morning. Because we're going to talk about the dream outcome of any confession, which is forgiveness. And forgiveness seems like such an easy topic, but it's not because so many of us haven't done it. We're going to start this morning talking about our example of forgiveness. It's the first blank in your outline. We only need to look as far as Jesus to see the perfect example of forgiveness. And this morning, all of us have to come to grips at some level with the fact that it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. We have to confess with our mouth that Jesus took the sin of the world, our sin, on his perfection, and that this morning we stand judged and condemned because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have to confess I nailed him to the tree. I spit on him. I was the one who falsely convicted him. If you need somebody to blame this morning for the death of Jesus, you need to look no further than the pastor of this church. There is nothing good in me at all except Jesus. He was thinking about me in Luke 23, and he was thinking about you when he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. In that moment, complete forgiveness is what Jesus is asking for. Not some temporary pardon, but a complete absolution of the very people who were killing him. It was a wiping clean. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Does anybody notice the order there? While we were still sinners, before we could even ask for forgiveness, before we were even aware of our own sinful hearts, Jesus had already taken the step of forgiveness. What does it mean? It means this. It's the first truth in your outline, that Jesus forgave completely and preemptively. Now, we don't do that very well, do we? What's the condition that we put on on most of our forgiveness? It's, well, when they finally ask, then I'll consider it. When they finally come to grips with what they did to me, then and only then will I know that they've truly understood how much they hurt me, and then I'll just consider forgiving them, but the truth is I'm probably just not going to. I have a question for you this morning. When you were in your sin and Jesus was forgiving, who moved first? He did. The act of forgiveness was preemptive. And my question to our church family this morning is, should we not follow that example and forgive even if we don't get asked? He's the example of our forgiveness. Secondly, we need to look at our standard of forgiveness. Colossians 3.13, Scripture says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We don't like it and we'd probably like to appeal this decision, but God has already predetermined the soul-fitting response when a human being confesses to us its forgiveness. 
as the people of God. We have been forgiven much. And God calls us to celebrate the forgiveness that he gave to us by forgiving other people, no matter how much they've hurt us. I hear people say in my office, I don't get to do nearly as much counseling as I used to or that I would like to, but I've heard this statement over and over again. I just can't forgive. You don't know what they did to me, pastor. You don't understand the hurt and the pain. They wounded me so deeply, I can't forgive. We've been talking all series about how, as believers, we like to make ourselves the grand exception. God calls it a sin, but we find out just a different set of rules. We're in a different category. God's okay. He just winks at the stuff that we do. And here, when people say, I can't forgive, we're trying to make ourselves a grand exception. You know, I'm going to say something that's very hard here this morning. In fact, it's probably not going to make me a lot of friends, but I believe it needs to be said. The words, I can't forgive, that's a lie. The truth is you won't forgive. You won't. The reason a lot of us won't forgive is because we have forgotten just how deeply we wounded God. We've hurt God more than anyone in human history has been hurt. You can't hurt Jesus more than the sole pile of sin that's represented in this room. And I think I got the biggest pile, just so we're clear. We have assigned that to Him, and yet in the midst of that, He chose to forgive. How amazingly hypocritical of us to receive the forgiveness of God and then to withhold it from somebody else. Forgive as Christ forgave you. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. You only need to forgive someone who has offended you to the same level that it took Jesus to forgive you and your big pile. Completely preemptively. Here's the truth this morning. It's that the followers of Jesus are called to freely offer what they've freely received. God's called us not only to be a forgiving people, but to facilitate that forgiveness in the lives of others. The ministry of reconciliation is one of our high callings as the people of God. Whether it's helping a couple of co-workers who have a struggle with each other and it kind of manifests itself when they walk past each, their cubicle and staple the other guy in the shoulder, you know, whether it's bringing those people together, whether it's helping a couple of high school friends who can't seem to work out their differences, whether it's trying to help a a senior from Squalicum hug a senior from Linden. I mean, there's a stretch, right? Oh, yeah, you know, right? We've been called as the people of God to bring hurting people together. It's our ministry of forgiveness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In the middle of any and every conflict, there's one need that needs to be addressed. It's the need for forgiveness. Whether it's a business conflict or a marriage conflict or a family conflict or a sibling conflict, whatever it happens to be, all of the conflicts have the same need at the bottom, that somebody will forgive. As the people of God, we're called to carry on that ministry. We carry it on because of the example of Jesus and the standard of Jesus. We know that Jesus stepped into the conflict that was brewing between a perfect God, the Father, and broken, sinful humanity. He stepped into the middle of that conflict and His work through the cross was to reconcile those two parties so that the relationship between God and man could grow again. 
We are the benefactors of the work of reconciliation. So let's get really practical and have a reconciling moment right now. If you're a husband and you had a fight with your wife on your way to church this morning, I want you to grab her hand right now. Go ahead, do it. Just go ahead and grab her hand, and I want you to hold it for the rest of the service. You don't get to let go until we are done. I got you started. It's biblical. You need to reconcile. The rest of the day is up to you. Don't mess it up, all right? You see, I gave you a moment for forgiveness and reconciliation, but the truth is inside of a lot of hearts, it's kind of like I am not touching her hand. You have no idea what she said to me in the car this morning. I couldn't believe it. Forgiving's hard, isn't it? You know, we've all been hurt by somebody at some point, and letting go of that pain, it's just unbelievably hard. One of the reasons we struggle with forgiveness is because we don't really understand what forgiveness is not. And if you can't understand what forgiveness is not, you'll never understand what forgiveness is. So I'm going to give you a list right now of some things that forgiveness is not and some things that forgiveness is. I'm ripping this off from a friend of mine. I'm putting it under the banner, Our Reality of Forgiveness. My friend Mark pastors a church down in Seattle. He did a little piece on this in a message a couple of weeks ago. I'm just going to rip him off because he did really good language with it, okay? So here's what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We don't forget when we've been hurt. In fact, if you've noticed, wounds have a very long memory. They tend to stay with you for a long period of time. Sometimes if we simply forget the lessons we were supposed to learn, it kind of takes the edge off of the pain. My friend Mark from Seattle has a great little line. He says, Jesus does not come with a side of amnesia. All right? Forgiveness is not forgetting. Secondly, forgiveness is not diminishing. It's not saying that what happened didn't matter or that it didn't hurt. In the first week of this series, we found that the word confession literally means to say with your mouth about sin the same thing that God would say about sin. It's getting an agreement with God over what sin was, no matter how small or how insignificant. And I want us to understand something about sin this morning because it's important. We like to grade sin and make some things worse than others. When it comes to sin, no matter how small or insignificant, Jesus still had to die for it. It's not diminishing, ever. Forgiving is not, over, is not overlooking. It's not pretending it didn't happen. It's not sweeping it under the rug, making it just go away. Forgiveness is not denying. It's not lying about the fact that it happened. In fact, confession is exactly the opposite. That's where you grab what happened. You drag it out into the light where Jesus is so that he can expose it for what it was. It's not denying it. It's also not condoning So many people fall into the false idea that if I forgive somebody of how they hurt me, then somehow I'm letting them off of the hook. So instead, I'm just going to hold them hostage. You know what? The sin's still there. What you're doing when you're forgiving is you just refuse to allow yourself to be held hostage by it anymore. And finally, forgiving is not momentary or instantaneous. It's not momentary or instantaneous. My friends, human forgiveness can be a process. Sometimes you have to forgive moment by moment, day after day, week after week. Sometimes it's a process that you have to go through. Genuine forgiveness is not some band-aid that you slap on a bullet hole in the middle of your soul. It doesn't work that way. 
It can take time, lots of conversations, lots of prayer, lots of scripture in your life, lots of counseling, lots of work asking the very hard questions. But my hard question for you is this, are you actually in the process or have you declared yourself to be a grand exception? I cannot forgive. And because of that decision, you have locked yourself in the prison of unforgiveness. Just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you're going to be their friend doesn't even mean you're going to have a relationship with that person. No, the reality is when we get wounded, trust was broken and trust needs to be earned back. I get asked this question a lot, especially with couples that are having a lot of time. It's like, how do I win back trust? Let me explain it to you. This is how you win back trust. You do the right thing for a really, 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 really long time. That's how you win back trust. There's no other way. So if I just described what forgiveness is not, then let's talk about what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is releasing a person from our judgment. It's saying, I believe that God can handle this person and what they did better than I can handle it, so I'm going to give them over to Him. We're going to let God deal with them. Secondly, forgiveness is choosing not to punish. When we've been wounded, there's a natural human reaction that says, I'm going to make you hurt back. I'm going to make you pay for what it is that you did with me. I'm going to make you hurt just a fraction of what I've been hurt. You're going to pay. Forgiveness is choosing not to punish. And we use the example of Jesus because if anyone had the right to punish all of humanity for its sin, it was Jesus. And yet he chose not to. He chose to forgive. In fact, he went even further than that. He not only chose to forgive, he chose to die so that he could adopt you into his family. What a gift. Forgiveness is also refusing to harbor an offense. 1 Corinthians 13 describes love. It says love is a lot of different things. Because God is love, you can actually put God in every one of those descriptors in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And one of the descriptors says this, that, the Bible, that love keeps no record of wrongs. Forgiveness means that we refuse to appoint ourselves as our own curators in a museum of pain. We're not going to keep a file folder. We're not going to work really, really hard to to keep track of everything that everybody's ever done to us. We're going to instead choose to release the pain because we understand there's only one outcome when you refuse to forgive. The outcome is bitterness, and we all know what bitterness is. Bitterness is when you drink poison in the hopes that it'll hurt somebody else. That's bitterness. What else is forgiveness? It's giving mercy when none is deserved. They don't deserve to be forgiven. Freely you have received, freely give. And finally, forgiveness is setting free our offender and ourselves. When I choose to forgive, I choose to act like Jesus. I choose to treat those who hurt me like Jesus treated me when I hurt Him. I choose to forgive. There is a promise for those who are willing to forgive, and the promise is freedom. I met Daryl many, many years ago. When Daryl first told me his story, I have never met another human being who has suffered more physical, sexual, or emotional abuse ever. When Daryl told me his story for the first time, I literally almost got sick to my stomach in my office. And I got to be there when Daryl chose 
to be like Jesus and forgive his father who had perpetrated the most horrific things that a human being could ever do to another human being. And I remember the words of Daryl's prayer as he forgave his father when he said, Jesus, I choose to forgive because I will not live in the prison of unforgiveness anymore. God set him free. If you're visiting with us this morning, I'm going to need your permission um, just to talk to the family of Christ the King for a little bit. And you're welcome to eavesdrop because we don't have any secrets around here and you can listen to anything we have to say. But I need to talk to the family of CTK for a minute. And I need you to do me a favor. I need you to not lose everything we've talked about because I talked about forgiveness on purpose today. The dream outcome of any confession is being forgiven and set free. And some of us are going to have an opportunity to do that this coming week. I want to tell you something about this series. Jesus hijacked it on me. He hijacked my Scared Spitless series too. Um, Some of you don't know, but a couple of days before I started preaching on fear, a doctor called and told my wife, that they thought she had cancer. So I preached four weeks on fear, not from my brain, but from my heart, and I was preaching to myself because I was scared to death. Two days after the series was over, a doctor called our house and said, all of the tests have come back clean and clear. You're fine. You just go on with your life. And I'm deeply thankful that answer. Jesus hijacked this series, he, or that series, he hijacked this one too. Because the week before I started preaching on confessions, my phone rang. And my phone rang, and I'm going to rewind the clock for you and tell you a story that started about five and a half years ago. Five and a half years ago on the Tuesday before Easter, I found out that I was going to be taking over this place on Thursday. And I was scared to death. Some of you remember the very first weekend when all of a sudden the founding pastor of this church was gone and I was here. Some of you remember coming to church that Easter, there was a video and there was a resignation and lots of questions. And when the lights on the video went up, I was standing in the middle of the stage and we were all thinking the same thing, Jesus help us all. Oh, man. (laughs) Really? That's scary. That kid. Wow. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. As the days went by, the stories got worse. And nobody knew what to do with all the gossip and the rumors because the one person who was suddenly gone that had all the answers, he wasn't talking to anybody. And our church was left with a broken heart and an open wound. A lot of people thought that Christ the King was done and finished. Jesus thought different. Jesus said, no, you have no idea what I'm going to do. I took a lot of heat in the coming weeks because I have a conviction about confession. My conviction is this. We don't confess anybody's sins except our own. 
And anytime we're going to have a confession night, we'll all pick up the microphone. I'll get us started at 3 a.m. I'll hand the microphone to the next guy and we just all take our turn. We don't confess other people's sins. We confess our own stuff. Well, that story's just kind of been out there for the last five and a half years. And when my phone rang a couple of weeks ago, a lot of prayer and a lot of time suddenly came into a moment. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Dave Browning, who pastors our Skagit Valley Church, and I met with Steve. Some of you know his name. He's not an unnamed person. He was the pastor of this church for more than 13 years. We met together with Steve, and we began to talk about what God has been doing in Steve's heart. And in that conversation, what we exposed was Steve would like an opportunity to come and ask for forgiveness from this church family. And we are going to have an opportunity to live out the soul-fitting response when someone confesses. We're going to get to forgive. This Thursday night... This Thursday night at 7 p.m. in this worship center, Steve is going to come back and confess and ask for forgiveness, and then we're going to get an opportunity to practice what we preach around here. Because the last time I checked our coffee cup, it says there is forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. The last time I preached here on recovery, I believe I said numerous times, it's okay to not be okay in this church. The last time we read James 5.16, it says, confess your sins to each other so that you can pray for each other and be healed. We're going to get an opportunity to do what we talk about all of the time. Now, some of you are wondering in this moment, you're going, okay, is that what he meant when he talked about going public? Do we all got to get a microphone and have a special meeting? Are you serious? Uh, pass, Right? Scripture is very clear that those who lead, those who shepherd, those who presume to teach are held to a different standard because when a shepherd sins, a lot of sheep get hurt. And this needs to be dealt with in this way because when sin touches publicly, it needs to get forgiven publicly. Now, if you'll allow me, I don't play the pastor card here very often, but I'm going to lay my card on the table right now. And I just want to walk people through what it is that's going to go and how this is going to go down. First of all, I'm going to say this. If you just joined Christ the King in the last five and a half years, if you're a part of the several thousand people who have joined us in the last five and a half years, you have absolutely no reason to be here on Thursday night. You weren't a part of the circle of offense, so you do not need to be a part of the circle of forgiveness. You can stay home on Thursday, watch Survivor and CSI. I'll call you. You can tell me what happened, okay? You have no reason to be here whatsoever, okay? If you are here and were a part of the church family at that time, if you've already dealt with this offense, you've already forgiven a long time ago, you may not need to be here either. In fact, the only reason that you may choose to be here is to stand alongside of another brother in Christ when he walks through the joy and the pain of coming clean. You may want to stand alongside of him while he makes that statement 
because you only have one confession to make too. The only thing that's good in any of us is Jesus. That's it. If the only reason you would come on Thursday is to revisit your anger or to stare at somebody else's train wreck, may God judge you ever so severely for that attitude. We don't rubberneck other people's train wrecks here. But if you were here and you were actually invested, you weren't just hanging around, you were actually invested in this family at the time, I'm going to invite you to come because it's going to be a time of healing. It's time to move on. It's time for us to live out what forgiveness is. Somebody asked me after the last service, Grant, did you plan this with confessions? I am so not that good. (laughs) I'll tell you who planned it. Jesus planned it. And Jesus is going to be the middle of it. And Jesus is going to be the beginning and the end of it. My goal is to say the name of Jesus so many times on Thursday night that we all understand what this is about. So here's the opportunity for forgiveness. Galatians chapter 6 says it very carefully. It says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself. Or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Do you see the words in that scripture? You should restore him how? Gently. Gently. And then Paul warns us, he says, you watch yourself. If what happened in your heart when I just made that announcement was, I got to get my phone, I got to call a few people, you just got tempted to gossip. And gossip is a sin that is so unbelievably important, Jesus had to die for it. And I am admonishing the family of Christ the King to stay on the godly track that we have been on and refuse to give in to the easy temptations of sin this week. You know what we should be doing instead? We should be praying. God's protection. Don't gossip. Watch yourself. Don't let yourself crawl up in the tree of pride and judge somebody else's stuff. We are to carry each other's burdens and to be like Jesus. Some of us are going to have an opportunity on Thursday. Some of us are going to have another opportunity this coming week. Some of you may be eating lunch this week and your spouse is going to sit down across from you and say, I've got something I need to confess to you. You only have one fitting response. Forgiveness. Now remember what forgiveness is not. Remember what it is. All of us at some point in our life will have an opportunity to hear a confession that's gone to God first if it's in the right order and then they may come to us because we've been hurt by them and we only have one fitting response. Response, it should be our joy and our privilege to freely give what we have received and to forgive. Don't lose what we talked about at the beginning of the message. Who's the author and example of forgiveness? Jesus. Who's the standard of the forgiveness we're supposed to offer? Jesus. Who has given us this ministry of reconciliation? Jesus. And our calling is to forgive as Jesus has forgiven us. And we all are going to have an opportunity right in front of us.
when someone is hurting, I think we need a reminder of who it is that can help us help them. The only thing that's good in any of us is Jesus. May He inspire our forgiveness this coming week. Until God willing, we're able to meet again and celebrate just how good He is. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, you have impeccable timing. And I thank you for how good you are. God, I pray spiritual protection over our church this week. As we move towards a moment when Forgiveness will be offered and healing will begin to flow. Would you protect our church? God, would you guard all of us against gossip or judging? God, may our only response be to give what we have received. So Christ the King, would you cover Christ the King this week? We need your help. We need your hope. We need your inspiration. God, I understand how the enemy works in these moments. He would love to hijack this moment. So under the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, through the authority of the blood shed on the cross by our Savior, we speak to the enemy and Satan, we say this to you. You have no place here. You have no voice here. You don't get to be a part of this moment. You are a liar. Your accusations are rejected. And in the name of Jesus, we cancel anything that you would have to derail this moment of forgiveness. Jesus, we appeal to you that you would soften us, draw us to yourself, allow us to be agents of grace and mercy in this moment. God, I pray for all those in this room who this week may have someone come to them seeking forgiveness. May their only response be the one that you have already authored. And we will give you thanks and glory for the healing. Thanks and glory for the love and the intervention. We will have deep joy As we forgive, as Christ has forgiven us. And we pray these things humbly. In the name of our Savior Jesus, and the people of God agreed together and said, Amen.